0: If you have your Bibles today, I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 and verse 30. If you're following along in the Bible in the pew rack in front of you, that's page 893. And in fact, uh, through the message today, I'm going to be inviting you to turn to a couple of Old Testament passages that we'll be uh, looking at. So when you turn to page 893 in the pew rack, you might put your finger in page 141 and page 766, and uh, we'll be in Numbers 27. And Ezekiel 34 as well today. So our primary text is in Mark's gospel. We've been in a series in the book of Mark, and today we come to a very familiar passage. And I have to confess, initially I had a rather bland and unexciting title. Uh, Not that the the one I chose is a wow, you know, but uh, it was like the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, could you get more original than that? Um, But as I started studying this text, I really felt like there was a thread that needed to be pulled on, uh, and that is this theme of Jesus as the Good Shepherd and the Good Shepherd's provision for us. Now, uh, it is easy, I think, for many of us to open up the Bible. Maybe you grew up in church, or maybe you've um, read through the Bible uh, a few times or something like that, and you will come to a familiar text like this, and you'll say, oh, I know this story. I know this account. I've I've read this before, and to just kind of roll along. But as Brother Allen was sharing with us, this is a miracle of Christ. This is uh, something worthy of our consideration and a reminder to us of Christ's power. A portrait of who He is, and always um, these texts are worthy of our consideration today. I was speaking with a, a man in, in my office, and uh, we were talking about the Bible, and he was saying something I believe to be completely true, and that is that it is our job every time we come to Scripture to realize that it's like a gem, a fine diamond, uh, that when you uh, look at it through a different perspective or kind of pick it up again and just kind of dust off a little corner, a little cut, there's always more in Scripture for us to see and to hear and to learn, and I have found that to be true. I appreciated that testimony from that man uh, that, that believer, that brother, who was just sharing uh, just the value of God's Word. And so today, I pray that maybe uh, there will be a new aspect of the story of the feeding of the 5,000 that really strikes you and, and gives you great uh, encouragement from God's Word as we study it together today. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. In Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted, And it is already late. Send them away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. You give them something to eat, he responded. They said to him, Should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 men. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you for standing. Would you please be seated? In our Youth Bible Fellowships, we have been surveying the Old Testament together. Survey of the Old Testament. It has been a great opportunity for us as students and uh, our students in the church to study this two-thirds of our Christian Bibles, two-thirds of our Bibles, and to get a, a picture of the forest, so to speak. Sometimes you can get bogged down in the trees and you miss the overview, the survey, which is what we have been doing Now, if the new covenant is much greater than the old, we've been asking this question, why should we engage the Old Testament? And how do we do so in a uniquely Christian way? One thing that I've heard said, it it would be good to ask this of every Christian sermon you hear. This is a good test if you're looking for a church, if you move from here. Could I have heard this sermon in a Jewish synagogue? Could I have listened to this sermon and it would have been accepted and normal in a Jewish synagogue? That is to say, for example, if there's only a moralistic application to say an Old Testament text, like, for example, David faced his fears and he defeated Goliath, so you should not be afraid of your greatest challenges, there would be nothing offensive about that being preached in a Jewish synagogue. Uh, there's nothing to be spoken of in any Christian sense, in a Christ-honoring sense of that text. So the point is, we must see the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament as Christians. And I would argue that is exactly the way Jesus intended for us to do so. See, after he rose from the grave in Luke chapter 24, we have the account of Jesus appearing, the resurrected Christ, to his disciples. And he told them in verse 44, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Everything written about me In the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, one of the things that we as uh, our youth Bible fellowships have been studying is that there are three main sections to the Old Testament. I'm doing this for review, by the way. It's always good to review when you're teaching things. So, for our students, we have the story of God's people. That's the first 17 books of the Old Testament divided into the law and the history. The first 17 books are the story of God's people. Then you have the writings of God's people. From Song of Solomon, or excuse me, Job through the Song of Solomon, you have five books that are the writings of God's people. And then the final 17 books of the Old Testament are the prophets from among God's people, also divided in two major sections, the major and the minor prophets. So you have the story, the writings, and you have the prophets. Those were the three major divisions of the Old Testament. And what is it that Jesus says? The Law of Moses, the Psalms, the largest of the book in the writings, largest book in the writings, and the prophets. He was summarizing and saying, the whole Old Testament is about me. The things written about me in those three main sections are being fulfilled so when Jesus says this, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, he's using those to talk about the constitution of the entire Old Testament. In verse 45, we read, Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Again, what were their Scriptures? The Old Testament. To open their minds to understand them, and he said to them, Thus, or another translation would be, In this way, the, uh, the Scripture is written, that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer And on the third day, rise from the dead. Jesus, giving an interpretation lesson. When we went to seminary, they call it hermeneutics. Right, Brother Mark? It's hermeneutics. What is Jesus' hermeneutic? In this way, Scripture, the Old Testament, is written. This is how Scripture is written. That the Christ must suffer. And on the third day, rise from the dead. All of Scripture, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, All of it points to Christ. This is the way Jesus interpreted the Old Testament, and I believe it's how we should understand it as well. So it stands to reason that if the Old Testament points to Jesus and should be interpreted in light of his coming, that there are pieces and parts of the story of Christ's birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, that we should look back for from the point of view of the gospel narratives, look back into the Old Testament. And that is precisely what I believe is taking place in Mark chapter 6, 30 through 44. Jesus is being pictured in this miracle, in the feeding of the 5,000, as the true and greater shepherd than Moses. Joshua, and David. He is a true and greater shepherd than Moses, Joshua, and David. Now the key reference to this pointer back into the Old Testament is in verse 34. Would you look on the screens as we read it again. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep Without a shepherd. That's the key phrase. Jesus says they were like sheep without a shepherd, and so he had compassion on them. Now, that phrase is rich with Old Testament meaning. In fact, if you have a reference, like a chain reference type of Bible, you might have references that lead you to Numbers chapter 27 and verse 17, which incidentally is in our Bible reading plan for this Tuesday. So you'll get another chance to see this text in its original setting. But I'd like for us to turn to Numbers chapter 27 and pick it up in verse 15. So again, page 141, the Bible in the rack in front of you. If you want to look in your own Bible or it will be on the screen. We begin in verse 15. So Moses appealed to the Lord. May the Lord the God who gives breath to all appoint a man over the community who will go out before them and come back in before them and who will bring them out and bring them in so that the Lord's community won't be like sheep without a shepherd. I want you to remember that phrase, go out before and come in before to go out and bring them in. Verse 18, the Lord replied to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man who has the spirit in him, and lay your hands on him. So in the context, this is Moses wondering who will succeed him in leading the conquest generation into the promised land. Um, This is the place where we will get two of the three illusions of Jesus as a greater shepherd than Moses and Joshua. You see, the reason the conquest generation was going to be shepherdless was because their previous shepherd, Moses, had been disobedient. Moses, you'll recall, uh, had not spoken to the rock. He swatted it. (laughs) And it was for that disobedience where he did not Give glory to God for his ability to do this miracle through Moses that Moses was forbidden from entering the promised land. So Moses is here on the doorstep and he says, God, who will be their shepherd? Who will shepherd these people? They're like sheep without a shepherd. They need someone to go in before them and come, come out before them. They need someone to lead their people. Moses, you'll recall, was a shepherd himself before he was called to shepherd God's people. Remember, he was uh, the shepherd of Jethro's flocks. Do you remember this when we studied Exodus? It's all tying in together, isn't it? The Psalms refer back to what took place in the Exodus as God himself leading his people like a flock of sheep by Moses and Aaron's hands. Psalm 77, verse 20. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. But now that Moses is disqualified, he appeals to Yahweh and says, the people will be like sheep without a shepherd. So do you notice who the Lord appointed? He appointed Joshua. Verse 18 again, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man who has the spirit in him, and lay your hands on him. That name Joshua, if you were reading this in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament is Jesus. The Greek translation of the name Joshua is Jesus. Jesus, the greater Joshua, is seeing the people of God like sheep without a shepherd. But there is one more major connection to the Old Testament that needs to be brought out from Mark. And that is the connection to King David. Because at David's inauguration, this terminology, this shepherd terminology, when he's inaugurated as king, is brought in in 2 Samuel chapter 5. Look at 2 Samuel 5 and verse 2 on the screen. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you, David, who led out and brought in Israel. Do you hear the tie? You led them out and brought them in. Saul was king, but you did it. You were the shepherd of the people. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. In leading Israel's armies, like Joshua had, David did what Saul had been chosen to do, but failed to accomplish. David is thus the one who effectively concludes the conquest, right? You've been studying Joshua, many of you in our adult Bible fellowships. Well, there is the sense in which it was complete, but incomplete. There was still more to come, and you don't see the rest in the true picture of what God had intended for his people until David is like the, the crown prince of the king of Israel, the shepherd of Israel, and peace. That reigns. And so David is pictured as the better shepherd, the successor to Joshua. It's definitely how the Jews understood things as they would teach and understand that David was a shepherd of God's people. And he, like Moses, had been a shepherd before he was king. He was a literal shepherd of sheep before he was shepherd of God's people. So we come to see that the king of Israel is viewed as the shepherd of the people, and a failure to live up to the kingly covenant resulted in what Moses had feared would happen in his own day. If the king wouldn't shepherd God's people, the people would be like sheep without a shepherd once again. And that's exactly what happened in the divided monarchy. As time went on, God's kings who were supposed to be the shepherd of his people, failed. They did not lead them out and go in before them. They did not lead them and teach them in God's ways. They failed to be shepherds of God's people. So you have, in this context, Ezekiel chapter 34, page 766. Turn to Ezekiel 34, and again, we see more of this depth behind this statement that Jesus saw the people as sheep without a shepherd. Read Ezekiel 34, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds... Feed their flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool, and butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. Because the flock belonged to Yahweh, the Lord, and its shepherds were there by his appointment. He had appointed them. He punishes the wicked royal shepherds and he promises to rescue his scattered, exiled people himself. And he will cause them to rest in rich pasture in the hills of Israel. Keep reading in verse 11. For this is what the Lord God says. See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. As the shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among his scattered flock, so I will look for my flock. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and total darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples, gather them from the countries, and bring them to their own soil. I will shepherd them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will tend them in good pasture and their grazing place will be on Israel's lofty mountains. There they will lie down in a good grazing place. They will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will tend my flock and let them lie down. This is the declaration of the Lord God I will seek the lost, bring back the strays, bandage the injured, and strengthen the weak, but I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will shepherd them with justice. What a powerful text to remind us that God himself will be the shepherd of his people, that he will feed them in rich pastures on the hills and mountains of Israel. So Jesus is the true and greater shepherd than the kings of Israel, even their greatest king, King David. Jesus had compassion on the multitude because they were like sheep without a shepherd. One phrase in Mark's gospel can have so much depth to it because of this. Don't neglect two-thirds of your Bibles. You might miss something beautiful and rich and deep. Here it is in one phrase. I think it could even be as subtle as one word here in Mark's gospel. Did you notice in verse 39, the grass in which they sat is green. Green grass. Verse 39, he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. Now this miracle, aside from the resurrection of Christ, is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. Now John in his Gospel mentions that people sat on grass. Mark alone says the grass was green. R.T. France, in his commentary, he says, quote, the, the vivid description suggests an eyewitness account of someone who was present at this extraordinary picnic. The green grass probably fixes the time of the incident in the spring. The grass dries up and gets brown. Although, Mark's motive in mentioning it after the shepherd metaphor in verse 34 may be to allude to the shepherd's role in leading his flock to green pastures. Now, in light of what we've read in Ezekiel 34 and all that you know from Scripture, does this not bring a little bit more pop to Psalm 23, 1 and 2. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. In some ways, I was a little reluctant to come inside today It's been beautiful outside, and I was just going to point you, when you walk out there, just look beneath your feet and be reminded of these, your grass, the beautiful grass. Jesus, the great shepherd of his people, had them sit down on the green grass to feed them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord, he is the shepherd, and when Jesus, the good shepherd, comes, they shall not want. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But just one word, one phrase, but with an Old Testament background, you see it like you're watching a movie in 3D now. Now, we've spent a lot of time establishing this connection point, but I wanted to share it with you because I believe it's very rich, and I believe so much a part of a portrait of Jesus that Mark wants us to see. Now, in the time that remains, I'd like for you to consider with me the way the good shepherd provides for the sheep. First of all, the good shepherd provides food through his servants. He provides food through his servants. Look with me in verse 35. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted and it is already late. Send them away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. You give them something to eat, he responded. And they said to him, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? This verse 37, I've said it when I read the text and even now, I wanted to give the emphasis that I believe is there in the original language. The The word you is not necessary. It's like it's baked into the verb and then he adds it again. It's, no, you give them food. You are going to feed these people. Think about how overwhelming that must have been to be one of Jesus' disciples. They are thinking quite practically. They've already encouraged Jesus to consider an upcoming crisis. People, they say, are going to be hangry. They are going to be hungry and angry and it's getting late and there's no food here. So when Jesus says, no, no, you feed them, they think the only logical thought, okay, well then he must be wanting us to scrounge up almost a year's salary and go buy bread for all of these hangry people. But Jesus redirects their thoughts toward using what they have. He asks, how many loaves do you have? You see, the disciples focused on what they lacked. But Jesus focused on what they had. Five loaves and two fish. In the life of service and ministry, too often... We feel like the disciples, overwhelmed with the prospects, under-resourced and ill-equipped. But listen, friends, when Jesus is with you, when Jesus strengthens you, he's far less interested in what you lack and ready and able to use what you have. We serve in the strength that God provides. Look at verse 41. You see that as Jesus blesses what they have, he doesn't go and hand out the food himself. He provides food through the disciples. He took the five loaves and two fish, looking up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the people, right? No. He kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. It's difficult for us, I think, in America. We rarely miss a meal. It's hard to know what it would have been like to have been hungry. And I'm sure there were hungry people in the crowds. Not only so, it's a great pleasure and a privilege to feed someone who's truly hungry. They're very thankful. It's a fulfilling role to feed the hungry and Jesus provides food through his disciples. They had the joy, the privilege of feeding hungry people with something that was supernaturally provided by the shepherd, Savior. I stand in a long line of unworthy servants who have the great privilege of feeding Christ's sheep. Do you remember... By whose eyewitness testimony this gospel came about? Peter. Apostle Peter. I wonder if the feeding of the 5,000 came to Peter's mind after he had that encounter with the resurrected Jesus on the shore. You recall Peter had denied Jesus three times. But on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, as Jesus restores Peter... What was Christ's threefold command? John 21:15 Feed my lambs. John 21:16 Shepherd my sheep. John 21:17 Feed my sheep. Jesus about to ascend to the Father entrusts his servant, Peter, to pastor. That's what shepherd is. Pastor, shepherd's the same word. Pastor his sheep. Feed his sheep. And ever since the apostolic witness of the New Testament, Christ has entrusted this gospel food to shepherd servants. We have the privilege of feeding Christ's Sheep. And secondly, not only do we see the shepherd provide through his servants, the food itself is satisfying. The good shepherd provides food that is satisfying. I find it interesting that the first thing Jesus does in his compassion over people like sheep without a shepherd is he sits them down to teach them. The very first thing he does is teach them. In Jesus' wilderness temptation, as Brother Jim quoted as he was praying, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus, on that deserted but green hillside, taught people God's word, fed them with real spiritual food that day. But the physical food he provided in this miracle is also meant to teach us something about the spiritual food which Jesus gives us. We learn from this miracle that when the shepherd feeds his sheep, everyone can eat until they are full. No one goes hungry. Everyone who wants to eat can eat and be satisfied. Look at verse 42. It says, everyone ate and was satisfied. The food that Jesus the good shepherd provides his sheep is a satisfying food. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Do you hear the language of satisfaction in the psalmist's plea, his prayer. Praise God today for his satisfying food. It is sweet and it pl- and is pleasant. It goes beyond what we need. Jesus could have just given them bread, couldn't he? Bread would have satiated their stomachs. But listen to the way Charles Spurgeon puts it. He says, quote, bread was enough, was it not? Yes, enough. But not enough for him to give. For he loves to supply a little more than enough. He would give a relish as well as a sufficiency. There was bread and fish. When Jesus Christ makes a feast for souls, he gives them sufficiency, bread, all that they can want, all the necessities for their soul's life. Giving a sufficiency, he also gives excellency he gives fish there will be savor and delight and peace with god it was the right fare, the right food most agreeable fare, and there was so much of it that though they ate much as i have no doubt they did for they were very hungry for they had been listening to sermons all day and that is hungry work can i get an amen from a baptist waiting for food Still for all that, there was enough for them. Yes, even enough to spare. Well, that leads us to our final point. That is that in addition to the food the shepherd provides being satisfying, we notice lastly, the food he provides is super abundant. Super abundant. Verse 43. They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 men. What Jesus, the good shepherd, has to offer is a fountain that never runs dry, a banquet whose food is never exhausted. There are inexhaustible supplies in the storehouse of Christ to feed sinful souls. The number of people is astounding. 5,000 men. The original language is very clearly men, not people, biological males. And this means that there were likely 15 to 20,000 people present at this feeding. And the scripture says there were leftovers. Whenever you have a banquet, somebody has to do the cleanup. And this, the, the findings here were that there were 12 baskets full of fragments. Another Old Testament allusion here. In 2 Kings 4, the prophet Elisha feeds 100 people with 20 loaves. Jesus is showing off now. <laughs> 15 to 20,000 people. It makes it seem trivial. With a quarter of what Elisha had, And a greater surplus left over. The other night for youth, uh, we were hanging out outside and I went by Jimmy John's and got, you know, a little catering box of sandwiches that you could grab one and uh, put them out. And there were plenty for us to eat. But then some people came a little late. And you know what? We had already let people eat as much as they wanted. And it was gone No Jimmy John's for you. (laughs) Not so with Jesus. There is always enough. He provides spiritual food in super abundance. Imagine this scenario with me, if you will. Think. Do you think Jesus would have run out of food if he had to feed 5,001 men? Well, of course not, because there were leftovers. But what about 10,000 men? What about 50,000? Of course not. Do you ever know Jesus to say to a sinner, you have no right here, there's not enough for you? No, quite to the contrary. Scripture says, he that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. No one was rebuked for having food that day. No one was rebuked for eating too much and neither will any sinner ever be blamed for taking too much hold upon Jesus. The banquet is set. The invitation is open and there's enough of Christ's food to go around for any and all who will come to Jesus for it. Which is why... In the parable about the banquet, Jesus says, all right, you send it out to those guests and they didn't come. Go out to the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. There's plenty of food. Listen, there will never be a sinner who applies to Jesus for food that will not be fed. He can provide for anyone and everyone who will come to him. So I close with a quote from Spurgeon. He says, come then, weary Come, hungry sinner, you have nothing to do but take Christ. You have not to bake the bread. You don't have to broil the fish. The bread and the fish are broken, blessed, and ready. Open your mouth. Enjoy the food. Faith to receive what Christ provides is all that you need. May the Lord grant it. Take salvation freely. Freely, Jesus gives it to you. Take it, and God bless you. Come, for all things are ready. Turn not away. God bless you, for Christ's sake. The shepherd has spread a banquet in the desert on green grass for his sheep. Come and eat. Take of Jesus Christ.